Shabbat Shalom and welcome to the Musson household. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. As I light our Shabbat candles to set apart this special gift for our family, may it remind us all of the light of Messiah that shines in us and in our home. As I cover my eyes, may we be reminded that before Messiah opens our eyes, we cannot see the glories and the joy of all on which his light sheds understanding. With my hands, I spread the light of the candles throughout our home to express my desire as a wife and mother that the light of Messiah and the joy of his Shabbat rest be spread throughout our home. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Malech HaOlam, Asher Kidshanu B'Mitzvotav, Vitzivanu Lehiot or Legoyim Vanatan Lanu, Et Yeshua Meshikenu or HaOlam. Blessed are you, Adonai our Elohim, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua, our Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now for the Kiddush. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai Elohim, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. And now, for the blessing over the bread. Amotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to Yah for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Amotzi lechem min haaretz, Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai Elohim, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. And now, the blessing for the wife. Adonai, my Elohim, thank you for the incredibly wonderful wife that you have been so gracious to bless me with. May she be, as it says in your word, a woman of valor, more precious than jewels, in whom my heart may trust and my fortune is found. Amen. And the blessing for the husband. Adonai, my Elohim, I thank you for the husband that you have been so gracious to bless me with. May he be, as it says in your word, a man whose delight is in your Torah. May he be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Amen. Blessing for the children. Behold! Children are a gift of Adonai. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Blessing for the sons. Yisimcha Elohim ke'Ephraim v'ki Manasseh. May Elohim make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Adonai, my Elohim, I thank you for the sons that you have given me. May they be, as it says in your word, men whose delight is in your holy Torah, gracious, compassionate, and righteous, fearing no evil, but with a steadfast heart to 
trusting in you. Amen. And the blessing for our daughters. Adonai, our Elohim, we thank you for the daughters that you have blessed us with. May they be, as it says in your word, women of valor, more precious than jewels, arrayed in strength and majesty, and whose mouths open with wisdom so that the teaching of kindness may be upon their tongues. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. May the peace of Adonai be with you always. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch the call to worship. Baruch et Adonai Hamvorach. Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha, Baelim Adonai. Michamocha, Nedar Bakodesh. Nora Tehilot. O sefele, o sefele, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, Lord, there is none you are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natanlanu et derech ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. All together... Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabat, la'asot et hashabat ladoratam barit olam, b'nei uvayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam, k'sheshet yamin asa aronai et hashamayim va'et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat va'yenefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Leolam Vaed, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. 
Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Aronai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Veshinantam levanecha, v'debartabam, v'shivtecha, v'bethcha, uvlechtecha, v'derech, uvshuch becha, uvkumicha. Uksartam leot al yedecha, v'hayu letotafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, this Shabbat, we are in the final portion of the book of Genesis. We had the portion called Vayeki, and once this is completed, we will have completed the book of Genesis for the cycle of this year. Uh, let me just take you to our Hoftor portion, which is 1 Kings chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1, it's 12 verses there in chapter 2. And before I uh, dig into that, let's review just real quickly what is in the Torah portion, this final portion of the book of Genesis. The, um, the reconciliation uh, between Joseph and his brothers has taken place. And in fact, uh, they've gone back and they've retrieved Jacob and the rest of the wives, and they have come to the land of Egypt, and they're now living in Goshen, this area, select area that, that uh, Joseph set up for them. So they're in Egypt. And there's some intriguing um, information about uh, how they got there. There's a, a one of what we call one of the hidden mysteries of the Torah, in which there's stated very clearly again and again and again that 70 persons went down to Egypt. In other words, the 70 descendants of Jacob went down there. It's not counting Jacob. It's not counting his wives or the mothers. It's counting the children of Jacob that went down there, and there were 70 persons that went down. There's a very emphatic piece of the Scripture that tells us all about this. So they, they've come to the land. Now, the hidden mystery of the Torah there is there's only 69 names listed. And you don't hear who's the 70th person. It's only as you get into the Torah and actually get into the next book of the Torah, Exodus, will you find out who the 70th person was. It turns out the 70th person, the person that was born the day that Jacob's descendants went to Egypt, was Yoshebel, the mother of Moses. And on that very day, the mother is born, who will, a couple of hundred years later, give birth to Moses for him to come and do the exodus that will be taking place. So here's uh, the children of Israel. All the tribes are unified. They're in Egypt. And they're doing good. They're herdsmen. They brought their their herds and flocks with them. They're living in a very good part of Egypt. They can grow things there. Uh, Jacob is at peace. In fact, he's kind of in his retirement program. And in fact, the scripture tells us that he was down there 
retired for 17 years. And that while he's down there, the Torah portion what he gets into is how does the life of Jacob come to a conclusion? And it comes to a conclusion with a whole series of blessings. The book of Genesis started off with blessings of God blessing the creation. It concludes with Jacob administering blessings to all of Israel. And one of the first ones that takes place, and this is rather significant in its own, is that Joseph brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the older. He brings them in to see their grandfather, Joseph's father, Jacob, who brings himself up out of his bed. He's seated there, and he receives them. And when he does, Jacob decides to bless Joseph's sons. And uh, Joseph positions them so that the right hand of Jacob will go upon Manasseh, who's the firstborn, and his left hand will go upon Ephraim, uh, who's the secondborn. But instead, Jacob crosses his arms and blesses Ephraim with his right hand, which is the greater blessing. And at first, Joseph is alarmed. He said, no, 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 you know, you know. And Jacob calms him down and he says, no, it's okay, I understand what's going on. Now, if you'll recall, going back into Genesis, Jacob had a twin brother. He was the second born. But he got the birthright blessing by the hand of God through the auspices of his mother. And, the, uh, and he's remembering that. I was a second born. And for some reason, he had a sense that he had to do this that in this particular case, it's the younger that will be over the older, and that he's the one who's going to carry out the blessing. He's the one who will receive the blessing from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Are you ready for this? It's really to Joseph, which is what he intended to do, but it goes to Joseph's son. It's the same as coming upon Joseph. And that's what was telegraphed. When we look at the four, the, the, the most premier part of the blessing, it went to Ephraim, not Judah. Now, the world is dominated with regard of Israel by the house of Judah and the Jewish people. And they have done well. They have received blessings from God. There's no question about it. You can take that group of ethnic group of people and you can see the number of doctors that have come forth, the number of scientists, the, all the important people that have been in the world that have advanced the world. It's very clear God's blessing has been tremendously upon the people of Israel. But the really big blessing went on Ephraim. Now what's that mean? What that means is that out in the midst of the world today, where the house of Ephraim is scattered, they have an even bigger blessing on them. I can assure you that when the house of Ephraim is revealed, they will be huge as compared to the house of Judah. 
their accomplishments will clearly be equal to and and even better than that is done. That blessing went to Ephraim and to his descendants. I have no doubt that when all of this is revealed and we come back, we're going to see how powerful that blessing was that Jacob put upon Ephraim and how it's carried out into the generations even to this day. Because when Ephraim comes back, he will be the largest group. He will be the greatest tribe. We even see some of this evidence in the book of Numbers where Ephraim is one of the leading tribes. And in fact, later on, when Ephraim breaks away from Judah in the division, he, he swept ten tribes. The other tribes were willing to follow him more than Judah, even though Judah had been kind of the leader of the brethren there for a while. And I would like to remind you that Joshua, the guy who went and captured the land of Israel after the Exodus, he was an Ephraimite. That wasn't Judah. That was Ephraimite. He did the greater accomplishment. And we see some hints and evidences of that blessing being upon Ephraim and the sons of Ephraim throughout it. And toward the end of the age, this is going to be a tremendous thing to see all of this come forth. Uh, the way it is. Now, our portion in addressing that comes to the conclusion of uh, the final days of Jacob's life. And now the other brothers come in, and Jacob, as his final act, is going to speak blessing upon his sons. He's going to individually speak blessing onto his sons. I want to share a story uh, with you an anecdotal story of another brother I knew. Early in my ministry, this brother was really, really was excited for the Lord. He was well established, his wife of many years, his children, his children were grown, grandchildren and so forth. And of all the brethren I've ever seen, this man really was the father of this family. Uh, the whole family, you could tell, was highly respectful of him. He, was, he had been a tremendous father uh, to this family that had been there. And suddenly he got, um, I guess it was like spinal cancer. And this cancerous growth was growing around his spine and it began to nullify his spine and its ability to do what it needed to do. And one of the first indicators that he was in trouble was all of a sudden he lost the feeling in his legs and he was no longer able to stand or walk. And that's when they discovered that he had this cancer. And it was wrapped around his spine, choking off the nerve and so forth. And it became very clear that his life was going to be coming to a conclusion pretty quick because this growth was continuing. And eventually, if you choke off enough things on the spinal cord, you choke off what's needed for your vital organs. And so it was clear there was no surgery option here. Uh, they had to simply do the best they can. Well, they were trying to give him some relief. And they did do a procedure to give him a little bit of relief. And he had pretty much kind of put his house in order, so to speak. And in fact, I had been dialoguing with him uh, throughout the process. and. He went through this procedure, he comes back, and all of a sudden, whereas everything has been trending downward, all of a sudden, uh, 
things are looking up. And he's improving. And uh, I heard the word of it. So I, at that point, I, I called him directly and I said, hey, I've heard that you've got some good news and things are looking up. And he was not happy. And I said to him, I said, brother, why, why aren't you happy about this? I mean, what, what's the problem? He said, look, Monty, look, I've, I've got my house in order. I, I know this is my time. I, I know my life is coming to a conclusion. I, uh, I'm supposed to go ahead and pass. I, I don't understand why God has this improvement all of a sudden. It doesn't make sense to me. So, you know, we talked about things like, well, you know, the Lord says you're be on this earth as many days as he decides you're going to be on it. When it's time to go, he's the one that decides when you go. Well, we had that philosophical discussion and so forth. And he said something like to the effect, I don't understand why God would purpose any reason for me to stick around a little while longer or to feel better. I, I just don't get it. And I'm trying to go into the scripture, and I'm trying to think of a positive and encouraging something that is a spiritual principle that comes from scripture that I can offer as encouragement to him. And I said, wait a minute, I said, do uh, you remember the story of Jacob? It's the last portion of Genesis, where Jacob is basically coming to the end of his life. He knows it. And he, he's not able to do anything. He, he's bedridden. And yet, the final thing that we hear that he does, he does this wonderful good thing, and he ends up blessing his children. He has enough energy to bless his children and his sons and so forth. And he heard that, and he said, well, that makes sense. He said, that's what I'm going to do. And then he and I had this conversation about the kind of blessings he wanted to speak over his children, the things he wanted his children to hear from him that, that would be upon their lives and be of benefit to them. Um, he died the day after that we had that conversation. Now, unlike Jacob's story, he didn't have his family come in and assemble. I mean, he had key family members there, but he didn't have the whole family come in to speak the blessing. I had the responsibility of doing his funeral service. And I had the responsibility of speaking to the family of the final conversation I had with their father when he was speaking all the blessings onto him. And I said, God's using me as a conduit to transfer and speak those blessings upon you from your father. I will tell you that of all the funerals I've ever done, that was one of the most moving funerals for me. I saw tears. I saw the family just have to gather each other and clutch each other. Uh, filled with sorrow for the loss of their father, but at the same time filled with the joy of receiving the blessing, the final blessing from their father upon them. And as a result, it has forever connected me with that family and their descendants. I'm, I'm in 
I'm endeared to them and they are to me. Because we got to see this Jacob moment happen for that family. So that's our Torah potion, this incredible moment in which the Jacobs is going to speak these blessings upon his sons. So our Haftor portion is going to have something similar. It comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 2. Let me read for you. As David's time uh, to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, and to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and whatever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful for their way, to walk before me in truth, and all their heart and each of all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now you also know that Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. He also shed the blood of war in peace, and he put the blood of war on his belt, about his waist, and on his sandals on his feet. So act according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. But show kindness to the son of Berezali, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For they asserted me when I fled from Absalom your brother, and behold, they assisted me rather, and behold, there's Shemai, the son of, of Gera, the Benjamite of Baharim. Now it was he who cursed me with a violent curse on the day I went to Mahanim. Uh, but when violent curse on the day I went to Mahim, but when came down to me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore do not let him go unpunished, for you a wise man, and you will know what to do, you might order to do to him, and you will bring his gray hair down to Sheol with blood. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years and seven years. And he reigned in Hebron, and thirty-three years he reigned in Jerusalem. And Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now, the parallel here to the Torah portion is David is speaking a blessing on Solomon. And this, the first couple of verses here, I mean... Uh, that speaks from a father's heart upon his son and his children more powerfully than anything I've ever seen in a greeting card. In fact, I'm going to have to put those words in my will. I want that set of words to be spoken over my children that David spoke over Solomon. I want it to come from me for them. I want to call them to go in the way of the Lord. It will be better for you. 
you'll get the blessings. And to remind them of my own testimony and the why I have walked in my life, and hopefully it will shed down to my descendants and continue on for generations. But at the same time, a little quandary here. He also speaks to Solomon, and he says to him, he says, now I want you to use your best judgment. He's not making an edict. I mean, he cites some pretty specific enemies here. And he doesn't tell Solomon, look, Solomon, you're my son. I hate this guy. I don't like what he did, so forth. I want you to go out there and take him out. He doesn't do that. He just reminds Solomon, his son, of the things that had happened. And then he says a couple of times, he said, I'm going to trust your good judgment, your best judgment on how to handle that situation. And that you somehow have that resolved. That, that needs to be resolved with that person. You figure out how to do that. I don't know if you have these kinds of issues in your life or not. Maybe you do. I have a couple of these issues in my life. I have certain individuals in my life that mistreated me. They betrayed me. They spoke harm against me. They cursed me. And in a lot of these cases, they were in very close relationships with me. Relationships that would say, that shouldn't happen. It should never happen that way. But it has happened. And in the course of my life, despite my best efforts, there's been no reconciliation with those. So I really identify, <laughs> to a certain extent personally, how David would extend his blessing onto Solomon for good things for him, and at the same time be mindful at the end of his days about certain people who've mistreated him and how to resolve that. Now, the way David resolves it for himself is he says to Solomon, I'm going to trust your good judgment as the king of Israel. You, you sort that out. You, you find the justice that's necessary, whatever. You, however you need to do it, I'm going to trust the way you do it. Let me tell you what I've done. I have taken those situations, those and so forth, and I haven't gone to my son Ephraim and said, by the way, Ephraim, I didn't like this particular guy and what he did. I'm, I haven't asked him to render any, because Ephraim's not the king of Israel. He doesn't have any more authority over the brethren than anybody else. So he's not in a position to render judgments or carry out actions in that type. But I do have someone who is in authority and who can carry out with good judgment, and that is the Lord. Now, I would say to those who have come against me, you need to be very afraid because the Lord knows what you did with me. And I'm trusting the Lord's going to take care of you. You're going to answer to the Lord for that. And you know what? I'm going to be satisfied with however that works out. I'm going to feel just fine. I will feel reconciliation and peace. And if the Lord comes back and says, I've restored this person, you can be restored to him. Oh, wonderful. That'll be great. 
However, if that person goes to further judgment, I don't have a problem with that. I'm reconciled to that too. That's where David is at. He's coming to terms with all of the things. If you go back to the blessings that uh, Jacob spoke over his sons, some of those blessings you read uh, don't sound like a blessing. Some of the words that he speaks over his... In fact, one of the sons doesn't even get mentioned. One of them who really misbehaved. Simeon is not even mentioned. He's the one who said, let's kill Joseph. And for some reason, when Jacob decided to do blessings, his name fell off the list. And by the way, one of the basic general curses that we know is, if you do something bad, worthy of, of a curse, the, the, the common expression is, your name is cut off. You're not mentioned anymore. Your name does not come up anymore. And that certainly is what happened to Simeon. But we never look at the blessings there and we say, oh yeah, well, J Jacob was really carrying out some justice there. The, the, the parallels between what David does with Solomon, the blessing he puts on him, and then how he addresses the conflict with his enemies the truth of the matter is, if you go back and look deeper at the blessings that Jacob spoke, some of those statements that he made about some of his sons almost don't quite come off as, what, what's the blessing in that? But he's being reconciled to that son. He's coming to terms with him. One of the most powerful ones that we see is about Reuben. Reuben truly was the firstborn of Jacob. And it specifically is stated in the blessings of Jacob. The reason why certain things are not going to happen for you is because you went in and committed adultery with one of my wives and you used my couch. You actually did it in my bed. Wow. Horrible. Let me tell you an interesting fact about the tribe of Reuben in the history of Israel that all Torah teachers will teach you. That no leader and no prophet has ever come from the tribe of Reuben. God's hand upon Reuben, he's still part of Israel, but God has not put his hand on Reuben and said, you are going to do a certain task for me. He has been given no position or place of honor, not even given a task from God to do something for the rest of his brethren. I, I put that in the category of almost a judgment. That was what Jacob spoke when he spoke the blessings. Doesn't sound like much of a blessing, does it? Well, that's what's going on with King David in the Hoftor portion. At this end, he is speaking blessings, and at the same time, he's addressing those who have done wrong in the past and how to be reconciled to them. Um, 
And I think that Jacob, in dealing with Reuben, he turned him over to the Lord. As a result, we see the evidence of what the Lord did with him. Nothing. Didn't do anything with him. And I think that's what happens to brethren when you go and offend others and don't get reconciled to it. When the end of their days comes, the Lord remembers. So let me offer this as counsel to you, brethren. You might want to do a little spiritual inventory about what's your relationship and how have you behaved with other brethren in the faith. If you're still at odds with them because of certain things that have happened in the past, you might want to go and try to repair the bridge. You might want to go and at least be on record as apologizing for it and have it resolved. Instead of, after the person passes, have an unresolved issue that God resolves. We do know that when the Lord comes back, judgment is going to be on the household of faith first, and judgment will be on the whole world, and we call it the day of reconciliation. The day when all issues are reconciled. David's coming to the end of his life. Joseph was in the Torah portion. And that's the teaching for this Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews to chapter 11. And you can hold your finger there at verse 17, where we will begin there in the New Testament for our Brit Hadashah portion. And let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for your teaching, your instruction, for your entire Word of God that you have given to us uh, here. Father, we thank you for the inspired words that uh, come from your Scripture as it speaks life into us each and every day. Father, I pray that this time would be no different in which that you will allow the uh, words of my mouth that you would speak through me, Lord, and may it be encouraging to all the brethren, Lord, around the world who might be listening. I thank you, Lord, for this time and for your word once again. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our Torah portion this week, Vayachi, which means, and he lived. It's the last portion of the book of Genesis, and it shifts back to the life of Jacob. Remember that we have been talking about Joseph for the past couple of weeks and that we're here all about the stories of, of Joseph in Egypt and how he saved the world through interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, became the viceroy of Egypt, collected the grain, distributed the grain so that life may continue. And through all this, he, was, he revealed himself to his brothers, reconciled to his family, and now his family has come down into Egypt so that they might live and survive for the five remaining years of the famine. And the story of Jacob coming down with all of his family and all of of his uh, belongings, his offspring coming to the land of Egypt. Well, now the story of Genesis shifts back to Jacob, still being alive, the, the third of our patriarchs when we say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we've been focusing on Joseph. And in fact, the story of Joseph began earlier where it said, now this is the life of Jacob. And then it started talking about Joseph. Well, one of the simple principles of that is that in the, our lives, one of the things and ways that our life is described is through our offspring, through our children. And it's the same goes for uh, Isaac, even earlier in the book of Genesis, where it says these are the generations of Isaac. And then it started talking about Jacob and Esau, and then it never really talked much about Isaac after that. And so all of these stories are all taught and told 
sometimes through our children. It's the legacy by which uh, one's life is um, accounted to for whatever they may have accomplished in that life. Well, now here at the end of Genesis, we're now shifting back to Jacob, and we have a couple of stories here to close out the book of Genesis here talking about Jacob. In our Torah portion, we have the time in which Jacob now has, he bows before his son Joseph, having been, you know, his coming to the end of his life, having now spent 17 years in uh, Egypt, his life being preserved, all of his family being preserved, all through his, by the means of his beloved son Joseph, all of these things happened. And that he then bows himself to his son, which was a fulfillment of the dream that Joseph had that he told his father that said, look, the interpretation of the old dream back when he was 17 years old was that he was, uh, that his, even his father was going to bow to him in the interpretation of the dream in which the sun, the moon, and the stars all bowed before Joseph in his dream. We have the fulfillment of that in this Torah portion. We then have the amazing blessing that Jacob puts upon the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and that he blesses them, and some may say and describe that passage as that he has adopted them into his family, and that he has made Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, equal to his sons. That may Ephraim and Manasseh be like Reuben and Simeon to, to, to Jacob so that they are truly adopted in to be in the family of Israel. In fact, this will continue on, of course, into the Exodus by which that there are tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh amongst the tribes of Israel that are there in place of actual sons that were of Jacob's line. But then entire tribes are named after them, and it shows the fulfillment of these blessings. We then have the great blessing of Jacob upon all of his children, gathering them together at the end of his life, putting a blessing upon them as well. And then the end of his life after he dies, and then also the story final uh, finishes up in Genesis, where Joseph then now dies and that there's a little bit of communication between him and his brothers. After their father dies, the brothers have concern that now Joseph will take their, his vengeance out on them because the life of their father is now ended, and that there's still some fear and trepidation in their, on their part, but Joseph assures them not the case. And then Joseph, his life ends as we conclude the book of Genesis, getting ready to go into Exodus. So, with all of that said, how do we teach the principles and the concepts of this portion from the New Testament. We're going to start here in Hebrews chapter 11, what's known as the faith chapter. One of, actually, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, where it speaks truly of the faith of all of these men, the heroes of the Scripture, that did, um, and I shouldn't say just men, because it speaks about the faith of Sarah, and it speaks about, I believe, the faith of Esther as well, and, and the, the faith of all of these characters, heroes of the Bible, that faithfully followed God, believing in God, believing in the promises of God, and that they did all of these things. And so we can read this entire chapter, and we can go into describing all of the things that have happened in the book of Genesis. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. By faith, Noah built the ark by faith Abraham all of these things all of these people did these did these things that were faithful before the Lord in everything that they did and it's like it's it sort of fleshes out the the uh, the characters of the scripture what was truly going on how strong all of them have in common the belief and the faith in God that God would do and fulfill his promises 
So here, talking about, we, we, we will start talking about Abraham here at, in verse 17, and we'll also talk about Jacob himself and Joseph in the course of this reading. So Hebrews 11 at 17 verse says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This goes back to what I said about Abraham believing in the power of resurrection, that the power of the Messiah, Abraham believed in it, and yet he believed that the resurrection was possible, even in a figurative sense, knowing that if he was going to sacrifice his son, God was going to have to resurrect him. Verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. you got to remember, Jacob received that blessing, so did Esau. He was blessed by his father, and that all of those have future prophetic implications. Now verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith Joseph... When he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. These are all things that the, uh, the patriarchs spoke of in very significant um, things that happened in their life. Specifically pointing out Jacob when he blessed the sons of Joseph and also Joseph at the end of our Torah portion as he's dying, he makes mention to the children of Israel and asks, that don't let his bones reside in the land of Egypt, but that he was to be buried in the land, in the promised land, with the full understanding that God was promising that land to him, to the descendants of his father, and to his descendants throughout their generations, and that that would be where his bones should reside. One of the fascinating things about this, if you go back to Genesis, is that sometimes in some of our English translations that when it says that Jacob, being very old and at the end of his life, that he leaned on the top of his bed, is what sometimes the Scripture says, when he blessed his son, blessed Joseph, and then also blessed the sons of Joseph. Here it says that it was upon his staff. Well, it's very interesting, the Hebrew word there that's used back in the, in the uh, Torah portion, Hebrew word mitah, which can mean bed, but it's also it's the same Hebrew spelling and word for mate, which means staff. And so the fact that we have a mistranslation or what seems to be a mistranslation by bed back in the, um, back in the Torah and then staff in Hebrews is where it's kind of like, no, there's no contradiction here that it's the same Hebrew word. It just can be translated differently as well. It's also fascinating, though, if you think about it, the leaning on his bed doesn't make as much sense as much as leaning on his staff. The staff of Jacob was probably something that was very important. It was like it was the leadership symbol. When you're talking about a shepherd, the one staff is something that's very important. It's also funny that when it's, uh, when it's I say the Hebrew word mate, we actually have a um, Torah portion by that name as well, which is translated not only as staff, but also as tribe. And that when it comes to the staff of a person or a staff of one of these men, we're talking about really the whole authority by which they live their life and that their family is established. 
that whenever the leaders of the tribes of Israel in the wilderness came and gathered, they all stood by their sign, their banner, and they stood by their staff, mate, that when you knew that a tribe was there, present, and accounted for. It was a symbol of power is really what it was. And it's fascinating when you just look at it and think about it in the life of Jacob is that he's at the end of his life and that he leans upon his staff. You can almost see spiritually that what he's doing is he's leaning upon the future generations that have come after him. The, very, the, the whole family of Israel, that they, there's a symbolic sort of nature of that he is blessing something into the future as he does this. And so that he's leaning on his staff. Now, as he's doing these blessings, once again, I said that he's fulfilling the prophecy by the fulfillment of the interpretation of Joseph's dreams to bow before his son. But then he is also what he's doing is he's pouring out an even greater blessing that has an even greater impact on all of our lives and the understanding of what it is to truly become a son of the living God. Because this is what he's doing when he comes in and he blesses the sons of Joseph. Now, it's described in detail. What happened was that because he was old, Joseph specifically brought in his sons in a certain way by which the firstborn Manasseh was going to be upon the right hand of Jacob and that the younger Ephraim was going to be brought in and was going to appear before Jacob's left hand. And it specifically says in the scripture, that Jacob, knowing this, sees this, and he crosses his arms and puts the right hand on Ephraim and the left hand on Manasseh, thus giving the birthright blessing to the younger of the sons. And that there's this sort of this very interesting thing in this concept here. And Joseph, you know, says, no, father, this is the firstborn. This is, and, and Jacob, he's like, no, look, this is the blessing. This is the way God has always done these things because this is a pattern. When it came to Abraham and his sons, who was the firstborn? Ishmael. Did he receive the blessing of the firstborn? No. That blessing went to Isaac, who was younger. Then in Isaac's sons, you have Jacob and Esau. Was the birthright blessing given to Esau, the firstborn? No, it was given to Jacob. And then when you have even the, the blessing by which the love of the father Jacob was put upon his sons, was it put upon Reuben, the firstborn? No, his love was to his son Joseph. And it was truly Joseph who was the next in line who gave the means by which the whole family could be saved and restored back together. And so you can see that this isn't Jacob's first rodeo in the idea of blessing the younger with the firstborn blessing. We also know this is the fulfillment also is that um, when you're talking about blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, that he's blessing the nations that are coming from, forth from him. This was a prophecy and a blessing that was given to Jacob by God at Bethel when he said that from you there will be a nation and a multitude of nations. And that's truly what we see in the fulfillment in the life and in the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh is that Ephraim became one of the largest tribes and that when we start talking about the two house teaching and the two houses of Israel from the southern kingdom to the northern kingdom and we talk about the northern kingdom being scattered into all the nations and that all of them are scattered into nations, we can look at the southern kingdom and Judah as a nation and then we can look at the offspring of Ephraim being scattered into nations that who are they really? They're actually a multitude of nations. And that by putting this firstborn blessing on Ephraim is, begins this idea and this greater prophecy 
of Ephraim being a multitude of nations that are then the whole purpose and the whole regathering and the whole restoration of the whole house of Israel all coming later into the future. All of this is so prophetic in nature, it's almost profound when you start to look at it that way. But not only is he giving an example of adopting the sons of Joseph to be equal to him, but he's giving us also the spiritual example of who we are to be in the eyes of the Lord. If you would now turn with me to Romans chapter 8, where Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he's speaking about a great number of things. He's talking about that we are to focus not on fleshly things, but the things of the Spirit, and specifically here in chapter 8. But then we have this entire section here that I love because to me it summarizes everything we're supposed to understand about being children of God about God being our Heavenly Father, and who are we to be to Him? Where it's like, okay, He's our Heavenly Father, but are we in the family of God? We have our own physical families with one another, amongst one another, this understanding of what a family is, where you have father, we have mother, we have uh, children that grow up under that instruction. And so we all have families. Some of them are broken and some of them are more stable than others. And sometimes that's all in the glory of God as to the family that we ended up with, all of us, each of us having to live our own life. But then when we talk about our spiritual identity, following after our heavenly father, what is our, how, do, how does all that work? How does that understand that God is portrayed, of course, in the New Testament as a loving, as a compassionate father who is welcoming in those that would call themselves children of God, that would call themselves His people, that would confess faith in Him, confess faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Creator of heaven and earth, the one who is the lawgiver, who gave us His Torah, the commandments, the instructions, who sent the prophets, who sent His Son, all of these things that we are to believe about God, then we are then adopted in. And this is what Paul is speaking about. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 8, beginning there, it says this, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, by all our sins and our mistakes that we make. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. See, that's being led of the Spirit of God. That's all about acting as He would act. Believing in Him, having all of the fruits of the, of the Spirit of God. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. All of, those, all of those things that we project ourselves to be sons of God when we fulfill the, and are, embody the Spirit of God. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. This is the whole purpose of us walking in the Spirit of God, following after God, believing in God, having faith in God, being a child of God, the whole goal is so that we might become heirs to the kingdom, heirs to the blessings of being in the family of God. This is one of the other things I always love pointing out whenever this subject comes up, this idea of adoption. 
is that when you're thinking about adoption, when somebody's adopted into a family, where they came from at that point now doesn't matter. Everybody still, yes, you have that physical tie back to the covenant of life that was given to you by your birth mother. And, and, and you, people always wonder where they came from. But ultimately, when adoption happens, you have a new family. Whatever came before now doesn't matter. What now matters is whose table you get to sit at. Who is your master? Who is your father? Who is your brothers? Who are your sisters? And what is this new family that you now have? And whatever your heritage is or was no longer carries any weight. This is one of the biggest things that I always like to argue against people that say, well, if you're not a physical descendant of Israel or you're not by heritage a Jew, well, then you are less than in the kingdom of God. Excuse me. Paul here is saying that we are adopted in by the spirit of adoption, becoming heirs to the kingdom, co-heirs with the Messiah. Where in the world does that imply that then there's some sort of like, well, where you came from, you know, kind of diminishes you. And so me being a natural born citizen makes me greater than you. No, that's not how it works. Now, there's a stigma in the modern day, modern times when it comes to somebody being adopted that somehow you think that if you're adopted, well, you don't get as many rights or blessings or privileges as one who is naturally born. The biblical uh, idea of adoption is this, is that when somebody was adopted in, they were equal to those that were naturally born. They sat at the same table, same inheritance, same blessing, same name, and they were given equal rights to all things and all blessings that come from the family. This is how Caleb, a not a natural born citizen of Israel, of the sons of Israel, became the leader of the tribe of Judah. He was a Kenizzite. He wasn't naturally born, yet he was a, the leader and he was one of two people that survived an entire judgment upon a single generation that got to go into the promised land, him and Joshua. He wasn't even naturally born. He wasn't even of the loins of Jacob, yet he is counted as a leader among his people and as one of the great heroes of Israel. But he wasn't naturally born. That's because natural descendancy doesn't matter. He was adopted in, and he was given equal rights, equal shares, equal blessings as to be of Israel. Same thing for all the Egyptians that came with them too. The mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. There were Egyptians that were with them. There was Ethiopians that were with them. There was people of all walks of life that had sold themselves into slavery, into Egypt at the time of the famine, that all became slaves, that there's no d detail or specificity of all of those people left with the children of Israel. This is one of those things that anytime somebody argues, well, it's like, uh, well, there's no way that there could have been that many people within four generations of 75, 70 or 75 people, there's a little bit of confusion on that, came down into the land of Egypt, and within four generations, they were this huge multitude of over 600,000 people. The math just doesn't add up. Well, sometimes maybe the math, whether the math can add up or not, the fact that it does, Scripture does say it was a mixed multitude. It was a whole lot of people that came with them, and they were all adopted into those tribes. And guess what? There's not, they didn't set aside the natural-born citizens and the aliens and say, there's one law for you and one law for you. No, that's not how it worked. They were all adopted in. They were all Israel, as far as anyone was concerned. 
That's the concept of adoption. Anytime anybody wants to emphasize whether somebody is naturally born Jew or of Israel or they know what tribe they're from and that somehow that gives you some more clout than somebody who can't trace any lineage back to Israel, but both are believers in God, both are followers of the commandments of God, and both have a testimony of Yeshua the Messiah, does not make this one's better than that one. It just doesn't work. I can say that I, I can trace my lineage back and I know what tribe I'm from and, and, and my last name's Judah. and I can, That doesn't make me better than the next guy. That doesn't make me better than, than Joe walking in here who spent his entire life in a Christian church and just confessed the faith in Yeshua the Messiah and is committing his life to keeping the commandments and the Torah. does not make me better than him in any way, shape, or form. That's what adoption is. That's what the truest concept of it is. And that example is given to us and this is the understanding. It comes all the way back to Genesis when Jacob adopted Ephraim and Manasseh to be his sons. And it's taught to us. And there is no question, was Ephraim and Manasseh a part of Israel? Yes, they were. There was entire tribes named after them. All the descendants that came after them from the loins of Joseph. All of them. Were they a part of Israel? Yes. Any Egyptians that came and might have joined up with those tribes, maybe because those were uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, they looked Egyptian. I always wondered that as the tribes uh, grew and as they expanded, did Ephraim and Manasseh still carry some of that culture from being raised in Egypt? And so that this sort of like just from the cultural standpoint, how they dressed, how they looked, were those tribes actually look, did they look more Egyptian than perhaps some of the, uh, the tribe of Judah, perhaps, that maybe had more Canaanite influence or culture or customs and how they wore their hair or what their clothing looked like. I actually tend to think it's possible that a lot of the Egyptians joined the tribe of Ephraim just because it was, there was a cultural connection to it. And when all of those people are all adopted in, is one of them separate or one of them greater than the other, or are they all Israel? They are all Israel. They were all sons of Israel. That's what adoption is. And that's why when we confess a faith in Yeshua the Messiah and we all have our Christian brothers and sisters standing arm in arm and hand in hand, again, doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white, big, tall, short, small, whatever it is, you are a part of the family of God. We are all brothers and sisters, all co-heirs to the kingdom with the Messiah, no matter what your last name is or what your skin color is or how you wear your hair. That is what amazing testimony that is when we're truly reading what the Scripture says, that is who we are in the kingdom and that's who we are to God. The same, thing is, this same idea is continued forward as well in Galatians chapter 4. Starting at verse 4, it says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One body, one faith, one family that we are all adopted in. That example is given to us from the life of Israel, from His sons and from the adoption of sons and through all the blessings that come through His sons. All of those things is all the story of the family of Israel. It was the first example. It was the first means by which God was taking a group of people, teaching us what family is, so that then we, by the time the Messiah come, came, we would then have an understanding of what family is, what it means. 
to be adopted in, to be the people of God. No matter what you look like, no matter who you are, where you're from, if you're a part of the family of God, obey His commandments, keep His word and His instructions, and His covenant is for you and His covenant is with you. All because of the biblical concept of adoption. Now, the blessing that comes from Jacob is an amazing blessing. You can go back to Genesis and you can read it and all the words. And we always have the belief and the feeling that they all have, they're all very prophetic in nature. That the blessings upon each of his sons, um, talking about the blessing that's upon Judah, how the scepter will not depart from Judah and that it's a, a blessing, a prophecy into the future, that it will be kings that will come from, uh, from uh, Judah. And then the blessings upon Joseph, and you can see the messianic prophecies of Joseph and that it's like that, that the idea of Joseph is, embodies the idea of the Messiah and that we can see that through all of the blessings. And he gathers all his family together, Jacob at the end of his life, to give and pour, to pour out these blessings. A parallel passage to that is Revelation chapter 7 where we have the sealing of all of Israel. 144,000, as it's described for us here in Revelation chapter 7. And it talks about how each of the tribes are recognized and are blessed, and that 12,000 of each are sealed to be the 144,000. And all of this is summed up in chapter 9 when it says this, and this is sort of the capstone on everything that I've been saying now. Revelation 7, 9 says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is what we are looking forward into the future. And this is what I believe Jacob saw in his sons. I know Jacob watched his sons grow up and he saw the strife between his, between his sons. You know, the hatred that went toward Joseph that ended up causing them to be sold into slavery after Joseph was revealed to be, to be alive. It doesn't say specifically in our scripture, but I imagine there was a, quite an interesting conversation that happened between Judah and Reuben and Simeon and Levi and all of the other brothers with their father when Joseph was found to be alive. And then they have to explain where in the world they got the coat of many colors and why it had blood on it, why they presented it to their father, and everybody would have to have come clean at some point in time. Jacob knew there was strife between his brothers. He already had grief in his heart for a couple of, uh, of the sons where you had uh, Simeon and Levi that went out and they slid, when the instant where his daughter Dina was raped by the prince of Shechem and then that there was, they were trying to work something out. But then Simeon and Levi go and they go and slay all the men of the city. And he talks about how that, you know, that the people of the land, you know, were going to look poorly upon Israel and his family and all of these things. And that this was going to be, uh, this was going to be a huge problem. There was grief in his heart for those sons. And then also Reuben that offended the couch of his father by laying with his concubine. There were issues with the, his family. 
You knew that there was brotherly conflict between one to the other. He might actually just created another conflict because if you're going to adopt in Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who are much younger than their uncles, and that suddenly they are now equal heirs to the blessings of Israel and Joseph, and why they have to look at their nephew and say, why in the world was he blessed to be equal with me? I'm Reuben the firstborn, and Ephraim, my little nephew of my, one of my youngest brothers, is now equal to me. There was strife and contention among the brothers. Always was. And we knew that this, these conflicts continue on. And you can read all the Old Testament and you know these conflicts all came on. But what is the heart of Joseph? Or not, sorry, not Joseph, Jacob. What is it that Jacob wanted to see in his sons? He wants to give a blessing to all of them. He wants, do you think that him as a father wanted to see the reunification of all of his sons, all coming together, gathering together? They probably didn't spend a whole lot of time together even once they got to Egypt. They all had their own families. They have their own households. Benjamin had a ton of sons, and he, or, and he had his own family that he had to take care of and deal with, and all that's described there. How often do you think they all really got together and came back together as a family? Not very often. I'll tell you when they did come back together, when it was time for a funeral. That's what happens in all of our families, that sometimes there's, there's not a family reunion. You can't figure out. You can't Schedules don't meet, but when a funeral happens... Suddenly everybody comes back together. Well, that's what they all did. They all gathered back together at the end of Jacob's life so that he gathered them together so that he could put that blessing upon them at the end of his life. This is a greater prophecy for the reunification of the whole house of Israel. This is what all of us are hoping to see someday, maybe in our lifetime, that we might see all the people of God, the people of Israel who've been scattered into the nations, Come back together so that all the tribes might be unified back together. Who are we? Which tribe are you from? We're from many, many of us struggle with that. But when the 144,000, according to Revelation 7, when they are sealed, we will definitely know then who is of the tribes of Israel. We'll know who's of what tribe and where they're coming together. And that this is a whole fulfillment of Jacob's dream. For like, it doesn't say that he dreamed of this, but you can see prophetically that Jacob wished to see this or that he knew this was something that was going to happen by his faith in God, knowing this was eventually what was going to come, that all of his sons and their descendants would all come together and be joined back together in the whole house of Israel. This is the greater prophecy, and the book of Revelation alludes to that and is a parallel passage going all the way back to Genesis and the blessing of Jacob upon his sons. The last reference that I want to talk about here in our Brit Hadashah portion, if you would go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we have the encouragement that is given to us at verse 19 where it says there, talking about us and our belief in God and that sometimes when, when we are, find ourselves with the Lord, on the side of the Lord, that He suffered, the, the, he, he suffered as the suffering servant and was our salvation without that suffering, without the crucifixion, we do not have eternal life. And that we are encouraged to by that if we find ourselves suffering with the Messiah, that we find ourselves in good company. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 says this, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. That even though we find ourselves hurting, frustrated, suffering in our lives and struggling just because all of us have become believers in God or we know that we're a part of the family of God or a part of the children of Israel, 
Does that mean that suddenly everything's good and that there's no suffering to be had? Excuse me, the Jewish people have suffered tremendously throughout world history that it's kind of one of those families that you might wonder, it's all like, do I really want to be called a Jew or find myself within the family of those people that, you said, that have suffered great persecution from a great many people for a great number of years? But in truth be told, the Scripture tells us that blessed are those who find themselves in that place, suffering as the Messiah suffered. And that that's not something to look down upon. That's not something to, 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 uh, to despise in any way, shape, or form. The Jewish people are God's chosen people. They're descendants of Israel. We know who they are, what tribes they're from. Their identity has not been lost through the annals of history in all of those things. And it's all like, what an amazing blessing that is to have a heritage and to know what your heritage is and where you're from. There's a bunch of Americans running around today that cannot say the, say the same about their own life. And it's like I said before, I started off by saying physical descendancy doesn't matter. But there's a there's a blessing to be had to knowing you're, are, you are a part of the family. You are a part of the family of God. And we, that's why we have a great love for Jew, the Jewish people. That's why we encourage any believers in Yeshua that you have to have an understanding and identity of who Israel is and who the Jewish people are. And here in the Hebrew Roots Messianic Movement, we're trying to be that bridge between Christianity and Judaism to understand we're on the same side. We worship the same God. We really do, and that we are trying to, to, to understand who we all are in the family of God. Like I said, I think we're all a part of Israel. All of us adopted in. We might be just in separate tribes. One of, some of us might be from a, the tribe of Ephraim that looks a little more Egyptian. Some of us might be from the tribe of Judah that looks a little bit more Jewish and Semitic and Canaanite and, and all these things. But we're all a part of Israel. We just happen to be on opposite sides of the tabernacle. All of us are all part of the family of God and the family of Israel. And when we find ourselves in faith in Yeshua, that blessed are those that even through suffering, persecution, that's what families face all the time. That's why families face trials, tribulations, arguments, disputes, frustrations. That's why camping trips are so amazing, even though they're so frustrating and everybody gets wet and gets rained on. But when a family is together going on a camping trip, it's about the family being together, not about the struggles and the, and the suffering that was faced in the process of it. And that's what it means to be a part of the family. And when we're in the family of God and with the family of Messiah, then sometimes we find ourselves suffering with Him. Let me remind you of Joseph's final words to his brothers. When they were concerned, once again, they were still concerned that his vengeance was going to come upon them even after their father had died. And he said, look, what you, what you might have meant for evil, God meant for good. And even though I suffered, even though I went to prison, even though you sold me into to slavery in Egypt, God had a plan and a will and all of those sufferings were for a purpose and a reason for such a time as to when Joseph could be risen up to be the right hand of Pharaoh and to save the entire world and save his entire family. That is the testimony that we all should desire to have if we find ourselves struggling in trials and tribulations, that all of those are for a plan and a purpose and that we are truly surrounded in the will of God so that one day we can take the things that we learned through that process and have the means to bless and to save many others. 
when you sit there and you're talking to somebody who's hurting and suffering, if you have a testimony of yourself as to have been hurting and suffering and struggling, then you can relate to them, encourage them. You can tell them that you can make it through because you yourself as a believer in God and having been persecuted for your own faith, have a testimony to say there is a means to overcome it and the means is Yeshua the Messiah. He is your Savior. He pulled me out of the pit that I was in and He can pull pull you out of the pit that you are in right now. Through those sufferings, greater things can be done. Greater redemption can be had. Greater salvation could be had. And Joseph embodies that in his life. And all of Israel embodies that throughout all the history that Israel, having been persecuted for being the people of God, but there is a means and a restoration to be had and salvation to be had through Yeshua. And this is our Messiah, and He is a son of Israel. He is a descendant, physical descendant of Israel, but He is also the son of the living God and the one who gives us our eternal life. What a blessing that that is, and that I pray that that is what we will see when we see the patriarchs and we see the stories of old, that we see the Messiah and we see His great redemptive works through their testimony and through their lives. And that should be encouraging to us. As believers in Yeshua, as followers of Torah and the commandments, we see two, the evidence of two, that truth has been established, that God's will is done between the pages of these, in the pages of these bindings and in the stories of old, and that God has a plan and a purpose, and what an amazing blessing it is to be a part of that family. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on the Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for the ending of the book of Genesis. And Father, may we be strengthened, Lord, as we continue through your word and your instruction. Father, we thank you once again for the life of Jacob, the life of Joseph, and for all the lessons that we can learn through them and through their lives. And by faith, they did everything in the actions and in the course of their life by believing in your promises, Lord, and believing in you. Father, may that be our testimony as well, that we walk by faith, not by sight, not by the lusts of the flesh, but by the works of the Spirit, Father, that we live out our lives as you see fit. So, Father, we confess our faith in you. Teach us, lead us, and guide us in everything that you do for us. May your word become alive and powerful each and every week that we read it. And, Father, may our hearts be turned to these words and these pages every day, Lord, so that you feed us daily with your spiritual bread that comes from these words, the word of God. We bless you and thank you. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Yivrechecha Adonai Vayishmarecha Yahweh Shalom.
B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach, Sarcha Shalom, Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Shalom.